Hello and welcome to the Board Game Nexus, a podcast about all things board game related, where we talk about both Euro and Amerithrash games. Episode 1. Hello, this is uh, the Board Game Nexus podcast. My name's Ryan. Uh, I'm the host for the podcast and I'm joined by my lovely girlfriend, Rachel. Hello. So, um... Just to tell you a little bit about us, um, uh, we're the hosts of a uh, board game night in Wolverhampton. Uh, it takes place at uh, Wild Bites Cafe, just to give it a quick shout out. Um, and yeah, we host the night, we give away prizes and stuff like that. So if you're in the area, uh, just come and say hi to us and uh, we're a friendly lot, you know, I think, <laughs> I hope. Uh, okay, so the first topic of the day uh, I want to talk about um, two games that are polar opposites. Okay, so we uh, had the uh, pleasure of playing a game uh, of Caverna, which actually t- took most of the evening, didn't it? It did, yeah. It, <laughs> it kind of like, whatever times they say on the boxes, it's multiply. A it's a lie. Multiply it by two. If you're teaching, multiply it by two, or at least by a third, and then, then you're in the kind of in the ballpark. The ones where they say add 45 minutes of player is probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, we played Caverna, and that was... I was really excited to play that, because it's... Caverna's not a, a game of stories, but it's a game where you can just sit in your little niche and build your, you know, little little cave, you know. Um, and it's just such a chilled-out experience, I find. But it's... You know, it's more strategic than luck-based, but... There isn't just one strategy to win, though. You've Mm. definitely got multiple things that you can do. You can concentrate on building in the caves, or you can concentrate on uh, farming, or you can concentrate on adventuring, or you can do a bit of all three if you want. Mm. Yeah. Um... And we had wildly different uh, strategies, didn't we? We did. And you expected me to just do farming and farming yeah. and farming. So that's what you did. Yeah. Usually, Rach, like, uh, when, when we play Skyrim or games where, like that, we usually play together um, and we share a character. So, like, in Skyrim, we've got an Argonian called... What's it called? I, I can't remember the name of our Argonian, but we've, like logged over 200 hours on that and usually Rach um, is the one that kind of cultivates and pr- repairs the armors oh, and you know makes yeah. me kind of like really wicked kind of All the dragon armor and stuff, stuff like that yeah and she mixes these really like you know esoteric <laughs> sort of potions with like giant toes and stuff like that that um we can sell off at like thousands of, yeah, thousands of gold pieces for one <laughs> potion. So uh, anyway, yeah, we kind of play, we like playing. So whenever we play games, role-playing games like that, um, Rach likes to play like the farmer or uh, the healer or someone who makes the potions, mixes the potions. So um, when she plays Caverna, I always think she's going to go for the farming strategy because being an ecologist by trade by profession she um she likes to go and like yeah, get as many animals in the, the farm nicey, as possible yeah, yeah. but what happened in the game i did loads and loads of adventuring <laughs> you did? did usually i'm the one going on adventuring you were the one in the farms you know yeah. tending to all the animals so i did a bit of farming still but i did loads yeah, and loads okay. of adventuring 
But he did he did so much adventuring. And everybody you did all... got weapons by the end, all my doors were armed. <laughs> yeah, you did all the adventuring, which was surprising. Uh, and I was on I was the, you know, kind of uh, on the other side of that. I was uh, trying to cultivate my farm and trying to get as much sheep as possible. All it was the really sheep. it was a real kind of like a one track strategy. It was a very narrow narrow-minded approach to strategic play but I just field. thought okay I've, I'm going to go for as many sheep as possible and you know try and go for that strategy so uh, I, I just had an, a, a you know like a, an abnormal amount of sheep by the end <laughs> of it it was just the sheep were just flooding out the gates there were guard dogs trying to kind of you know keep them in the pens it was just kind of complete pandemonium in there I don't know what was going on many many sheep but um what happened at the end of it, though? Oh. I, I was certain that you'd won, because I, I had such an absurd strategy. I, I was no certain way. that you'd won. And you thought that I'd yeah. won. And it turned out that we got 67 each, didn't we? Yeah, complete draw. A complete tie. Wildly different strategies. Rach went for, like, kind of furnishing the cave and going adventuring, and yeah. I went all out farming, like, you know, kind of... I did other animals as well, so I didn't... I wasn't dot points. I think... Because you get dot points if you don't do a certain Yeah, animal. if you haven't got a full set of all the different ones available. That's right. So you had a full set and yeah. I had the full set. No, so no, we didn't get dot points for that. There. And we didn't, get, we didn't get dot points for starving as well, which is... Uh, we haven't played Agricola, but we hear it's kind of like a bit... Uh, a bit <laughs> grueling, shall we say, to feed the people. It's yeah, a yeah. bit... It's, it's, it's harder, because in Caverna, at least, you can convert things into food for your people. Mm. You're not constrained so much. But, I mean, a lot of people say about Caverna, and we've we've got friends at the group who are a bit reluctant to play it, for the reason uh, that it, it looks a bit daunting. There's so many options, and it's hard to get your head around, and it's probably so prone to AP. As well. yeah. So it, just, it looks more complex than it is, I think. Yeah, so, I mean... This, how long has it been since we last played Caverna? Would you say? It's kind of like a, it's got to be got it got to going into months. Say like four months, four five months, months maybe, something like that. Yeah, um, like and you know, you know how it is when you get to a game, a game to the table, uh, having not played it for like so long, you got to re reread the rules a little bit. But then just it comes back to you, yeah, just yeah. a refresher. Uh, and it wasn't too bad. Like within, no, no. we'd after the setup, within like five ten minutes, we were just clicked you know we, we, we'd got the rules and we were just uh um but it was uh it, it was it was good it was a good experience yeah, overall yeah. i think wasn't it yeah it was definitely um, one of my favorite games mm, mm. um so we uh played played caverna oh, oh sorry i was going to say about people who tell who, who uh, go on about being too many options so by yeah. the beginning of the game uh I just looked at the whole plethora of options, you know, all those tiles sprawled all over the table. We've got a big table and it just fills the entire table. Um, and I just, it kind of, it's a bit bewildering to begin with. The thing is, though, unlike some sort of strategy games, there's not a whole load of bad options. Even if some of the, the good options are taken, then you've still got some pretty good options available. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, you've made a bad choice in the first two rounds of the game, that's it, you've lost. Mm. Uh, every time we've played, things have been fairly close scoring-wise. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel it, it is quite balanced and you can... Um, it, I've, I mean, I've just acquired um, Puerto Rico 
Uh, we haven't played it yet. We haven't got it to the mm. table. Um, but I've heard with that game that if you if the, if you play with a player who knows the optimum strategy, they will beat other players. Um, and if you don't follow a certain path, then you're going to get left in the dust. But I feel with Caverna, I mean, we haven't played it that many times, but I feel just from the amount of times we have played it, there's not uh, there's, there's not, not that a problem. Single no one strategy that always works. No always dominating beats path everyone to, else. to victory. There's so many different ways of going about it that, that it's it's not one strategy and that's it. You're definitely going to beat everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of it seems that every time I play it. And that's the beauty of it. I can try a different strategy. I don't need to, like, you know, uh, uh, min-max and just, like, go for the optimum strategy and, and you know, kind of... It, it seems, like, a bit freer. Um, and even if someone places their meeple... Or, uh, it's not a meeple, is it? It's a token it's you like place. A disc. disc. They place their disc in a place... Uh, uh, and usually in games uh, like that, like worker placement games, you you get that problem where you're kind of going for a strategy and then someone places something in a place that completely destroys your strategy, it completely breaks it apart into smithereens. But with, with this game in particular, I feel that there are so many options that you can get to it via a different route. So yeah. like if someone scuppers you by placing something somewhere, you can just like give it a, you know, like kind of take a little detour through the woods and, and find another path as it were. So I don't think that there's that problem with Caverna, which is, I like that. I know some people think it's not tight enough and it's not crunchy enough. You don't, it's too easy to feed your people. And it's too relaxed, but Really, that's what I want from a worker placement game. Yeah, if you're going to really use something good. heavy like that, you don't want it to be really, yeah. really stressful as well. Hmm. I like the fact that the, there's not a whole lot of downtime between the turns because each person's placing one dwarf, hmm. and then they're placing their other dwarf. You've not got to wait for someone to finish their entire turn before you get one. Hmm. Yeah, I did. I do like that about it, and and also there's that um, aesthetic, uh, you know. Um, that aesthetic thing about it where at the end of the game you look down and you've built a farm it's like the same thing with castles uh, of Madkin Ludwig or you know suburbia or or games like that you know you you'll be kind of placing things and above and below stuff like that you've made something yeah yeah. you look back and it's something you've made it's something that you've been engrossed in in like kind of two hours or however uh, long um and that's that can be really rewarding. Just looking around the table and seeing how different everyone's brain works, you know, it's uh, and they're all amazing. They're just different. Yeah, and it's kind of unique. It's almost as if, like, uh, you know, uh, I've visited Japan, and 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 uh, in Japan, uh, people treat their homes as if it's an extension of their personality. So, uh, you know, homes and rooms are a reflection of one's personality, and I feel. Board games like that give you enough leeway in order to, um, you know, kind of inject your personality into the game. And Mm. I think that's great. I think that's great game design. But, I mean, it's a great game as well. You know, the the choices that you make, uh, uh, you know, and the the approaches to strategic play are really kind of, I think, quite in-depth. So I think it's a game that you can definitely... Uh, master you know with enough with enough play time so okay so we played caverna 
And then immediately after, the day, a day or two after, is it the next day? Next day, everything. We went, yeah, we, we were called up by one of our friends from the board game night. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. From the cafe. And he said, like, you know, do you want to come round and... Uh, well, th- here's, the, here's the story. Originally, we were gonna, there were going to be six people there. And that, you know, drastically narrows down your options when it comes to board games, obviously. So there's... Uh, Usually, board games are optimal at four. Would you say? I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Four to five. But six, it's like really narrows down your options. So we were there, so like you know, trying to get uh, two bags, a bag or two uh, full of games. Um, Things that, would be good with that six. They're optimal yeah. at six. Um, and then we got a phone call from our friend saying, "Oh right, so due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, the other guys had to drop out." Yeah, so, so then we had to three of us, yeah. Yeah. So then we had to rethink uh, our approach, uh, and then our options completely widen. By which time our lift had ca- had come, and yeah. we were like, ah, you know, desperately <laughs> hunting for games. <laughs> which one should we choose? Like, because I've got quite a big collection, it's uh, can be a bit daunting. So um, we went with. I don't know what we chose in the end. We didn't take that many games. Um, I think we went. We, we we took Galaxy Trucker. Yeah. Uh, Alien Front, Alien Frontiers. Yeah. And Frontiers. we we dropped Cosmic Encounter because it because we with three players. Yeah, it just, was, It's not ideal. Really. Yeah. So it would it was three players. It was me and Rach and our friend uh, because the others had dropped out. Um, but in the end, we ended up playing our friend's copy of uh, Zombicide, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. So what did you think of Zombicide? I haven't played it for ages. Because, like, I mean, here's the thing. When I came to the hobby, uh, I was all for theme. You know, I was really into theme. Um, it was the main thing. That was the mean? main draw. So I looked at Board Game Geek. I looked at all the thematic games. I watched, like, Dice Tower reviews, Shut Up and Sit Down reviews, all the thematic games my interest because I love story in games and I love to be immersed in the game you know and uh, play on traction all that stuff so um, one of the first games I got was Eldritch Horror which was uh, it, it would have been daunting I think to the average person to learn but it is very meaty it, it, it is when you're just dipping your toe into the, the board game world uh, the board game pool um, and there's a lot of text so if you're not into text yeah. and reading lots of text then yeah but as time went on, um, I, I found my tastes uh, kind of like evened out uh, by, you know... Uh, yeah, you went through a period of um, mostly just wanting very abstract games. Yeah, I went through abstract phase of like kind of the, the GIP project and... Uh, well, Quantum still reman- remains oh, yeah, in my yeah. top you ten favourite games Oh, yeah, yeah, you still like abstract games, but uh, you Santorini. don't wait quite as much on them as, as, as you did for a while. Well, what about you? How do you feel about abstract games? I like them sometimes. I just, I, 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 I'm not mad on abstract games that take half a night. Uh, yeah. If it's gonna take mm. more than an hour mm, mm. of my time, then I want at least a, a smattering of theme, even a pasted on one. Okay, but I mean. Um, there are very few abstract games that would take half a night. Usually they're yeah, quite yeah. they're quite quick, like twenty minutes or so, like yeah. Santorini. Santorini, and, I love. And yeah. Czar and Pla- and things like that. Um, but uh, w- what about Tigris and Euphrates? I mean, another one of my favourite games. T- see, to me, I, to... I love the theme of that. I think what you're doing makes thematic it does sense. Make thematic like sense, some yeah. people would say, oh, it's very dry. But but if 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 everything that you do 
makes sense thematically. I would argue that it's not really dry. Um, it's I, I, I like it. I like the amount of theme in it. Um, yeah, it does make sense. I do like it. I just find that that is really heavy because as much as you can play uh, in a chilled sort of way, then you're not going to get anywhere with it. You you need to, your brain really needs to be fully engaged mm. because it's 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 heavy strategy, yeah. and I have to be in the mood for that. It's yeah, not um, all the time that I'm up for that because I think I'm, I'm mostly always up for that. I know. It's <laughs> yeah. what I, I refer to as a brain burner. Brain, yeah, it, it is a bit of a brain burner. I do enjoy it. But I just, I just have to be in the mood. Here's the, yeah, here's the thing. We're going off on tangents. Well, sorry, we'll get back to the main topic in a minute. But um, Tigris and Euphrates is one of those games where you play the first time, and I think a lot of players don't get their head around the strategies. And for that reason, it could turn off a lot of players. But I think by the second game, then you you are beginning to grok the me- mechanisms, uh, and it just starts to click. You know, you know, like have you ever had that in a game where you, you you join the game, you know the rules. That's not the problem, but you look at the board game, you know, the board game state, the board and everything, and all the pieces and everything, and it somehow doesn't quite gel with you. you don't you can't see a clear path to victory and you don't quite know what the best strategy is you understand how the game works but your brain just isn't engaging Mm. properly in terms of formulating a strategy for you yeah um, but not just that like Chirus and Euphrates I think uh, when I first started playing it you look at the board and it's just an ab yeah I mean to begin with it's just an abstract array of pieces on the board but um, as you go through the game and as you kind of get your head into the game, then you start to see um, you see the board in a different way. You know, it does immerse you, but in a different way to a thematic game, say. Um, but you just see all these opportunities arising all over the board and these, it's just, it's, it's very hard to communicate. <laughs> it's kind of abstract, you know, no pun intended, but... Um, uh, I feel that with Tigris and Euphrates more so than... And it might be a Reinekenitia thing, like with Samurai and things like that, but... Um, and your brain just starts thinking in patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, getting back to the main topic of Caverna, we, we uh, went to, to our friend's house. He had uh, zombie side, So we'd gone from being in Caverna mode. And by the way, we've still got it set up on, on our table. We want to give yeah, another give a play. Yeah, give it another go yeah, today. Yeah. We yeah. haven't packed it away. Um, so we've gone from Caverna mode to Zombicide mode, and I hadn't played Zombicide for probably years. You know, so I've played it more recently than that because I bought it to the night. Now, when I played Zombicide initially, I loved it. I, I know I knew it was kind of like harmless, goofy fun. You know, it's kind of like the uh, you know what you'd call a movie as popcorn fodder. It's the kind of board game equivalent, isn't it? Uh, it's just a guilty pleasure type of game. But I've got to say, I was bored to tears during the game. I just really? <laughs> so let down. I thought, oh man, I went. I, I was so I was so kind of taken aback by how much I didn't enjoy it. Uh, you know, like uh, I didn't You're enjoy as much. Too look based for you. Is that what it is? Well, I went put it this way. I went back to Board Game Geek and I changed my score from a, a nine to a seven. Wow. So that's a two, uh, you know, a two two point drop. Uh, just after one play, um, but I just think my tastes have changed so much that 
you know, it, it happens to everyone. Like, I don't know if you... If I you... still enjoyed it. I mean, I wouldn't say, wow, Zombicide's in even my top sort of 20 games, really. Mm. I still think it's a good game. It's a good co-op. You do get the feeling of being surrounded by zombies. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, the, the, the characters are fun. And it's nice that they, they the way that things level up, so you try not to leave people behind because the threat of the zombies gets more... Uh, uh, the more that you more kill, yeah. then the more likely you're going to go from being in the blue area to, to sort of being in the orange area on, on your player card. And once one person hits orange, everyone has to deal with yeah. orange level zombies. I've got to say, I do like that mechanism. Um, but I, I don't think... That, see, that that's that's good. I think that mechanism is, is one of the perks of the game, where you can't just go out gung-ho, one person yeah. going out killing all the zombies, the other's turtle and like kind of stock up on loads of gear and stuff like that, and then distribute it to the other members or whatever. So if I mean, you do that, you, you're going to be dealing with a huge amount of zombies. Yeah, I mean, you can still do that. You can turtle, and, then, and that's what we ended up doing, because we ended up winning quite easily. We didn't... Uh, none of our survivors were, were killed. I think two were injured. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, two were injured. And it was really funny, actually, because there was we played a scenario. We played with the expansion, with the Toxic, Toxic City, City Mall. Mall yeah. yeah, We've um, not played with that before. No, no. Um, and what happened was there was this room, these two rooms in this building, and it was in, the, in, in a mall, obviously. And um, we were trying to track down what, one or possibly two survivors. Uh, yeah, but it was in, in this room... Uh, there was no where well, the door was closed but there was a spawn point so there was <laughs> and the things that spawned in that room were incredible oh my God. it spawned the abomination <laughs> yeah it has spawned numerous whole plethora of like kind of runners and fatties and walkers Toxic and stuff dogs. like that Toxic dogs, dogs were in was there. It dogs? Was and it it eventually... Toxic dogs? Just dogs, wasn't it? Just yeah. zombie dogs. I think I I, I, uh, I took a picture. I'm going to put it on, on, on BGG. Yeah, but yeah. It's like the whole room was just piled you could fit up. more in there no, by the end of the game. It was just piled up with writhing bodies of the undead, you know, kind of just bursting at the seams. Uh, we never went in that room, but if we it's did... Good, it's a good job that the survivors <laughs> we were looking for, one of them wasn't in there. Because oh. if one had been in there, even if we'd managed to get in there, and somehow you'd have to Molotov it or well, something yeah. like I, that. I had the, this is the thing, right? So I badly wanted to flamethrower the shit out of that room because it would have levelled up my character. It would have probably capped out my character. Yeah, it would have. It would have. <laughs> but... Um, the trouble was, I didn't get a, a fuel canister. That's that, that, you know, like it no, really irritated no, me. So I was lumbering bit, yeah. around this great big, you know, flamethrower on my back, uh, and and I never got a gas can. I kept on no. asking people, "Have you got a gas can?" No one had one. Come on, trade me. A, no, no one, one had. had one. No one had any. I think someone used one for something, didn't they? Or yeah, did yeah, they throw it, it away? You, no, it was used to make a molotov, which, oh, okay, which got yeah, us yeah. out of the door in the first place. Oh uh, yeah, we like killed two or three zombies with. No, it, no, so. no, about six. I think that was me. No, the original one was you, yeah. That's the one that killed two or three. Then the one my character threw that that did like six or seven. High five. <laughs> yeah, it was good. That was good. Uh, I mean, I, I I was using hyperbole at the beginning. I think it was it was okay, but it, it was, was just good. I liked it. I just like said it's not my top twenty. It's not one of my favorite yeah. games. I still enjoy it though. Yeah, I mean, there were times where I was just bored and just thinking, well, okay, we're rolling dice, but there's nothing to mitigate those dice rolls. And I think in this day and age, 
you know, in this era of board gaming. I mean, there is a limited amount of mitigation. There are things that allow you to re-roll or add one onto your dice roll. That well, no, that, that's not really mitigation, though. That's 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 modifying. So you modify it before the roll, and then you roll, but you can't mitigate what you've got. You can re-roll, but that's that's a bit of a lame mitigation, you know, just like a re-roll if you get some kind of card that you've randomly got in a building or something. I think they should... Someone needs to drastically update that game, and it could be still a good game. I think the uh, the idea of... Well, Black Plague might have done something about that, because people know. say it is a lot better. Yeah, OK. I'll, I'll keep an open mind, I'll play it, but from what I've heard from reviews and stuff, it's just more of the same, but without the uh, kill-friendly... Uh, players when you shoot uh, you know immediately you kill friendly players when you to, shoot into a square you've got to house you've got to house rule it but we house house ruled it from the beginning and yeah. it was no problem so yeah no the way we play is that you know if you're shooting in the same room as, yeah. as your friends if you hit the zombie you hit the zombie if you miss then you hit your friend yeah, which thematically makes sense doesn't it um like, you know, kind of you're shooting the zombies, everyone's writhing about and there's arms and legs going everywhere. So you've still and got you the sit- risk factor. Yeah, so you've got them in your sights and your scope and then you shoot and then, you know, your friend just kind of gets hit by a zombie or dodges out the way and just gets hit by it, you know. So if you miss uh, on the dice, then, you know, we just do it as you, you get a wound, which I think is similar to the rules in Black Plague. Maybe someone can uh, comment about that, um, one of the viewers. Uh, listeners, <laughs> this is our first podcast, by the way. Uh, didn't if you didn't know already. Um, so, uh, talking about zombie side now, I, I I was taken aback. How I mean, you know, obviously, uh, Merry Thrash games and Euro games are very different. You know, that's that goes without saying. But playing them back to back, it's just it just highlights how different they are. It's like night and day, really, isn't it? From, you know, zombies. Mm. And they're both considered, they're both board games, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just just from completely different, uh, completely different disciplines, you know. Um, and, and I don't know, I think I'm kind of leaning more towards hybrids nowadays, like kind of Blood Rage and Scythe yeah, yeah. seems to be... I mean, they've got that, that thematic... That seems to be a, a growing sort of market because people are feeling that it... Because it, 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 it scratches a different itch, mm. definitely. Yeah, and so this is a topic that I wanted to bring up about hybrids. Uh, not kind of hybrids, I think, are the way to go. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got the um, elegance of German and, you know, European design, which is now designed all over the world. So we... We've got to come up with different with a different name for euros, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, because I mean, one of the strategy based or yeah, I mean, uh, worker placement based, something like that. The, the thing is, the best euros aren't being made by Europeans anymore. You know, you've got kind of uh, Americans. It's oh, an like, arguable point, but yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think so. I mean, Scythe, you know, Jamie Jamie Stagmire of Stonemire Games. That's an incredible game. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I know some people like kind of say, "Oh, right, it's not doing anything new," but it's just the 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 way all the mechanisms work, and the way everything is put together. It's just so expertly done, and the art is obviously great. But I think holistically, the game is firing on all cylinders. You mm-hmm. know, it, all mm-hmm. the elements come together to make this perfect storm of a game, and. I backed the Kickstarter, and initially I was a bit apprehensive because I thought, okay, it's a th- aesthetically it's a pleasing game. 
did they just did Jamie just throw in the and and that's partially why I because some of my friends back Kickstarters just because it looks cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't but, think we'd ever do it on aesthetics alone. But I. I always look at the designer. If the designer hasn't got a pedigree, I'm always look reluctant to back it. I mean, that's why I backed uh, what's the Rising Sun without oh, Eric Lang, without yeah. even thinking about it, because Eric Lang is on fire at the moment since he uh, deleted his computer files and started from scratch. You know, that's a, <laughs> that was just a stroke of genius. You know, just to be free of all that baggage and completely start afresh. That can be liberating. And speaking as an artist myself, I can. I can appreciate that, you know, just completely being free of older projects and just, you know, uh, you know, forging ahead and, and just uh, uh, creating what you want to create in that moment. You know, I think that can be really liberating for an artist. So, you know, kudos to him for doing that. And it paid off. It worked. So hybrids, I think, are the way to go, aren't they? I mean, uh, I really am loving hybrids at the moment, you know, mm, like kind of Blood mm. Rage and Scythe and all that goodness. And I just acquired an acronym, which I'm really excited to play as well. Maybe we'll do a be, review, yeah. uh, you know, on one of the pod, could be in podcast episodes. So that just about wraps it up for this episode of Board Game Nexus. Hope you enjoyed the show and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Mm.